Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Well, good morning. Great to see everybody. Our reading this morning is Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 38. After I've read the word, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond with thanks be to God. Luke chapter 2, beginning verse 22. And when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not part from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, So glad to see you. Um, May that last song really speaks to, it's just, it's amazing to, to sing those words, that holy, holy, worthy, worthy. And even as Jesus was a baby, he deserved, he was worthy of our worship. And that's kind of what we're going to see today, that even as a child, even as a baby, Jesus Christ was worshiped and honored. So first, uh, my name is Luke. Um, I'm one of the elders here. Um, my wife, her name is Lucy. I hope you can meet her someday. And we have two kids, uh, Jonathan and Kirkwood, uh, little guys, bundles of joy, um, not all the time. Um, and we spent uh, our Christmas in Quebec City, um, over in the French land of Canada. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, our, our parents took us there, Lucy's parents. So I hope you had a wonderful Christmas and as just as much as we did. Um, so just to give you an idea of where we're headed in Luke chapter 2, uh, we're going to look at Jesus as he is brought to the temple and why he was there. 
And then we're going to look at Simeon and his song of worship, his song of praise. And then we'll finish off with Anna's thanksgiving, her worship of the Lord. And then we'll conclude with some final thoughts. But before we go, let me just pray. And, oh, actually, one more thing. I almost forgot. I, time was elusive this morning, and I was not able to have all the, uh, the Scripture passages on the screen. So now the burden's on you guys. Have your Bibles ready. Uh, have your, your phones out and uh, try to follow along if I go somewhere else besides the passage. All right, let's pray. Uh, dear Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. Father, that you gave us your Son to be our salvation, to be our redemption, to be our righteousness. I ask that you would teach us now that you would speak through me. Calm my nerves, Lord. I pray for the Holy Spirit's power. Thank you so much for your grace to us. In the name of Christ, amen. So when I think of this passage, when I think about Simeon and Anna and, and Mary and Joseph, I like to imagine uh, Luke interviewing Mary. Because we know that Luke wrote this book, that this is his narrative. He, he had interviewed many of the eyewitnesses of Jesus, and Luke was a follower of Christ. And so I like to imagine him sitting down with Mary. Maybe they're at a table having some unleavened bread or something. And maybe some coffee. No, probably not. Um, but as they're enjoying, and uh, Mary is sharing all these wonderful things of the Christ, of these amazing stories of angels appearing to her and to her husband, Joseph. She almost um, tell, starts to tell him, Luke, the story of when they escaped from Bethlehem to go to Egypt to escape from Herod. But then she remembers, she almost forgot, of one story. She says, 40 days after his birth, we brought him to Jerusalem, to the temple, according to the law. And there we met two people who blessed us and who I will never forget their names. And I still remember them today, Simeon and Anna. And we know that Mary Mar treasured all of these things into her heart. So this was a very special moment for her. And it's special for us because it shows us how gracious our God is that he uses, as he uses, worked in Elizabeth's heart, a woman who was not able to bear any children, but gave her a child, John the Baptist. And he looked, he sought out a poor little girl named Mary and gave her the Son of God that she would bear him. So now he reaches out to Simeon and Anna, two older folks. But first, uh, let's backtrack and try to understand why Mary and Joseph and Jesus were at the temple in the first place. Let's get to the technical stuff, right? Um, so, two reasons why they're there. This is in verses 22 through 24. Um, one is to consecrate the firstborn son to God. This was an Old Testament, Old um, Law tradition to bring the, the, the firstborn of the male son or to bring the firstborn of an animal to the Lord. And if it was an animal, it would be sacrificed as an honor to God and to give of your first things. If it was your son, they would become in the service of the Lord. They'd be dedicated to him. And you can find that in Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. But later on, the Lord 
uh, decides to make not just the firstborn of every child of, of Israel, but he decides to dedicate an entire tribe to him, and that is the tribe of, of Levi. And so the Levites take on the service to the Lord. They are dedicated to God to serve him in the temple. And what's interesting, we don't really know Mary's heritage, but we do know that she's related to Elizabeth, and we know that she was of the daughters of Aaron. So maybe through Jesus' lineage, she, he was of Levi, and so not only do they know that this is the Messiah, so we must dedicate him to the Lord. So they bring him and consecrate him before the Lord. This wouldn't have been a practice that many people would have probably been following at that time because they knew that, well, the Levites have it. Why, why would we dedicate our firstborn son? But Mary and Joseph realize the gravity of who this son is, and so they bring him and know that while he's our son, the Lord has a greater purpose for Jesus Christ. Now, the second reason that they bring um, Jesus to the temple is to offer sacrifice for Mary's purification. This one's a little more technical, um, a little harder to understand, and uh, this is in, we can find it in Leviticus chapter 12, where the Lord made it a part of law to, for after a woman gives birth, that they would be unclean for 33 days for a male child. Now, it's important to know that this uncleanliness is not uncleanliness of um, moral impurity. It's not a moral thing. It's a, a sign of ritual impurity. And what a ritual it means, ritual, is a symbolic act or series of acts designed to convey a message. And so God had a message in having um, the, a woman be unclean after giving birth. And it was most likely to show that this this, um, the, the, the way of giving birth was not how it was meant to be. We know that God, in Genesis chapter 1, or after the fall, that he said that you would go through child labor, that women would, uh, part of the curse, go under child labor and pain. And that was not part of the original, God's original plan. And so this was a reminder to the Israelites that this is not how it was meant to be. And that we also all deal with a sin nature, and we have to come to the Lord for uh, cleansing. So Mary does this, and they offer two uh, turtle doves or two pigeons, which was a sign of their poverty, their, um, their lack of funds. But the Lord is gracious, and he, he does not make people give lambs if they do not have the money for a lamb. He, he allows them to offer a, a a small price of a turtle dove. Now, the purpose, ultimately, for these, um, uh, for Jesus being brought to the temple, and one other thing that we did not see in verse 21 is that Jesus was also circumcised on the eighth day. It's important for us to know because Jesus had to fulfill every bit of the law, the Old Testament law. He had to be perfect. He had to follow the Ten Commandments. He had to complete every law. And we see in Matthew 17, chapter 5, sorry, Matthew 5, verse 17, do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
So even as a baby, Jesus fulfilled the law. God had sovereignly placed Jesus with devout and faithful parents to make sure that this happened. And so it's an, that is the, one of the purposes that Luke shows us as that he is brought to the temple to be presented, that this Christ would fulfill every bit of the law for us, for us, so that we could have relationship with God. So now we look at Simeon. Who is this man? We look at his, we're going to look at his, his song in verse uh, 29 and see how he meets Mary and Joseph. But first let's look at Simeon. It, it, the scripture does not tell us if Simeon was a priest or if he worked there or if he was what he was doing. But what it does tell us helps us understand why Simeon was there at the exact time that Joseph and Mary and Jesus were there and helps us understand his character. So in verse um, 25 and 26, we see three things that help us know, um, get to understand Simeon a little bit. Uh, So he was uh, righteous and devout. Uh, Simeon was called righteous or just because he followed the law and believed that God was the only one and only true living God. And therefore it was true of Simeon, as the scripture says in Romans 1.17, the righteous shall live by faith. Simeon was righteous. He believed God. He trusted him. He was also devout and had devotion. Simeon had love and faith for God. His whole life was devoted to God. He followed the law because he loved God. He did not follow the law because of what it brought to him, what Gloria brought him, but because, of what, of the, because he loved God. And then we see also in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What was he waiting for? Well, he's waiting for Israel's comfort. That's what consolation means, that, that he was waiting for the comfort of Israel, their salvation, the Messiah. For he, for the Messiah, would bring encouragement to Israel. This reminds me of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Simeon was going to meet the Prince of Peace that day. He was going to have the consolation of Israel. He was going to see it. The comfort of Israel was going to be shown to him that day. And then in verse 25, we also see that he was, uh, that the Holy Spirit was upon him and that the Holy Spirit had spoken to him. God revealed to him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Can you imagine if you were Simeon, knowing that you would not see death until you saw the Christ? So we don't know how old Simeon was, but we assume that he's older because he's not going, he's going to die soon, but the Lord says you will not die until you see Jesus, the Christ. You know, we often, at the end of our lives, think about our regrets, we think about, <clears throat> uh, we try to make amends, we try to um, close out our accounts. 
We try to make those final checks off of our bucket list. But the only thing Simeon wanted was to see God's promise to Israel fulfilled. And now, a special promise to him was shown, that that he would see this Christ. He would see Jesus. So then, now we know a little bit more about Simeon. He was a righteous man, devoted to the Lord, that he was... He waited for the Lord, waited for the Lord's consolation, and that the Spirit was upon him, was with him. So then, in verse 27, this part is, is, is amazing. He says, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. So he walks in, filled with the Holy Spirit. He knows that something's happening. I know it's coming one day, but wait, maybe is, it, is today the day? Maybe today's the day. And so he comes in looking around, you know, where, 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 I don't know what I'm really looking for, but a baby, there's babies everywhere. And he sees this young couple who had probably just finished the rites, they had just finished the sacrifices, and then they, he sees this baby. And somehow it's revealed to him, but he knows that that is the Messiah. So he runs to them. He runs to meet them. Just as Mary and Joseph were entering the temple, they had finished up the law's requirements, so Simeon, too, came with the Holy Spirit. This might have seemed like a chance meeting, or just haphazard, or random, but this wasn't. This was God's divine appointment. God was bringing them together. And so, too, would he bring Anna with them. This is how our Father works. He works providentially, sovereignly, without our control. He works in the ordinary, the mundane, in the difficult, the hard times, to teach us and to train us, encourage and build us up, to provide for his children, to provide for us. He works in our lives providentially. We won't always know why or what for what reason, the purpose behind why our, what our, our God's will, but we have many great promises from the Lord. And one in particular is Romans 8:28, which says, "And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose." So trials, suffering, pain, loss, death good things, bad times. The Lord works in them. Is your child have lots of tamper tantrums? He's try- the Lord might be trying to teach you patience <laughs> as he's trying to teach me. <laughs> the Lord works in many ways that we do not expect. And we can really often overlook them and think, this is what is going on here. I'm just going to press on through this. But we need to keep our eyes open and seek the Lord in those moments and say, well, what is the Lord trying to teach me? Where is he trying to make me grow and change? So now for Simeon's song. He comes up to Mary and Joseph. For some reason, they give him the baby. Not many of us would trust some older guy coming up to them. But he gives it to, they give the, the baby to him, to cry, the Christ to him. And let's read verses 28 through 32. 
it says, uh, Luke says, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What must he have felt like? There's a, a painting by a man named uh, Rembrandt. Um, I have a photo. I brought something. There he is. <laughs> um, and I love this painting by this guy. It was painted in 1669 because it gets at what Simeon must have felt like. The joy and awe. You know, you can see his mouth open a little bit there. He's not looking for more pudding. He is excited and in awe that he is holding the Lord. It's a beautiful painting. It shows that his excitement and awe, and then he goes into this song of praise and worship. For God kept his word, and now he could depart in peace. The Christ that Simeon saw with his eyes was to be the salvation that God had planned from the beginning. He would be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to his people Israel. It is interesting to think about, and you can put that away. Don't be distracted by that, guys. Come on. Um, it's amazing to think that Simeon only saw him as a baby, but he had complete faith that this was the Christ. He never saw Jesus do his miracles, turn water to wine. He never saw him heal the lame, heal the blind. He never heard Jesus spoke the, sermon, the Mount on the Sermon. He never saw his work of on being on the cross and dying and then rising from the dead. He never saw it all. But he had faith and believed that this was God's promised Messiah. That's encouraging for us, I think, that we... Maybe we didn't see even the, the baby, but we have seen his word and we have faith and believe if we put our faith in him that it's true, that he has done it. And we, can, we also know uh, that in the book of John, he tells us in verse 20 the purpose for his writing. In verse 30, he says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are written in this book, which are not written in this book, sorry. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. By believing in Christ, we too have Simeon's same joy awe, love, and faith in the Son of God that he experienced that day in the temple. And now Simeon stands in heaven with his Lord and Savior, the glory of Israel. Now, in verses 33, verse 33, Mary and Joseph marvel, it says, the scripture says that they marveled at what was said about Jesus. They're just staying there, shocked of all these things, that you mean that, that God has determined for salvation to be through this, this one, through Jesus, that he would be a light of revelation for the Gentiles, glory for your people Israel? They were in awe. 
But Simeon was not finished after his song. He had more to say. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Simeon prophesies and foretells the future of Jesus. So let's break it down in two parts. There's the part where, the first part, is that Jesus was appointed for the fall and rising of many. And this is in verse 34. For the fall and the rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed. This meant that many would reject Jesus as the Messiah. Many would reject him, the Son of God. But many also would accept him and love him. Isaiah prophesies to this too. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So Jesus would be a stone of stumbling. But also Paul speaks of this same motif in 1 Corinthians Uh, Chapter 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Peter, as well, speaks of this, of Christ being, he says that he is a cornerstone. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, Verses 6 through 10, we'll, do, we'll read a couple verses here. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They will stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But in verse 9, But you who are chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, out of darkness into his marvelous light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That is who, that is us. That is those who believe on him, that he is our cornerstone. He is our life. So we see that Jesus Christ would be to those who fell a stumbling block, but to those who rise, a cornerstone. He would be a stumbling block because people would oppose him as a sign from God, as the cornerstone. But don't be discouraged that as him as a stumbling block. Think, let, let, this is a quote from John Calvin. I think it will help us understand this a little bit more. That we may not be terrified by the designation bestowed on Christ as a stumbling stone. Let it be instantly recalled, on the other hand, that he is likewise called the cornerstone on which rests the salvation of all godly. Let it be also taken into account that the former, him as a stumbling stone, is, an, is accidental, while the latter is properly and strictly his office. Jesus as cornerstone is his office. The fact that people fall 
from him is not because he is maliciously trying to make people fall and not believe in him. Because he is the cornerstone, because he is the Christ, people will deny him. But for us who believe in him, he is our joy and our life and our hope. Now that is the first thing that Simeon tells Mary and Joseph. And the second one is much harder for Mary to hear, and she does not fully understand it. But he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary must have remembered these prophecies as she watched her son being crucified. Saw him with a crown of thorns as they crucified him on the cross. Watched the soldiers gamble for his clothing and then saw them pierce his side with spear. Yes, her soul was pierced too. And Simon's prophecy was true. But she must have also remembered Simeon's song. She must have remembered that Jesus was to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for his people Israel. And so we, even though her soul was pierced, and ours as well, knowing that our Lord and Savior was crucified, that is a light to us because we can have salvation through Jesus' sacrifice. Now, for Anna, Anna steps in. Another elderly lady, she was called a prophetess, and she was a widow. She is there at that same day as Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Simeon were too. Unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot of detail as much as Simeon, but I think all that is described of Simeon is the same for Anna that she too was righteous and devout. She was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and she was faithful. She loved the Lord. It was, what was true of Simeon was true of Anna. So, but what we do know is that she was a prophetess and a widow. So we don't exactly know how old she is. It says 84, but maybe it depends on when she became a widow. She could have been 104. Um, so she just, she's old. Um, so, but her designation as a prophetess is one that speaks to her righteousness and devotion. Other women in the Old Testament who were called prophetesses were Miriam in Exodus 15.20. That's the sister of Moses and Aaron. She was called a prophetess. And you remember that she worshipped God after he brought them through the, the Red Sea, she praised him for what he had done. And then another woman in the Old Testament is in Judges 4.4 is Deborah, one of the mighty judges who, as a man, was in fear of, of um, enemies coming against Israel and could not stand up. This, this woman, Deborah, had faith in God and knew that God would protect them. And so she, is, too, is called a prophetess. And so Deborah stands in this line of Old Testament women who are full of faith and trust in God and love him. And so we also know that she spent, it seems like, much of her widowhood at the temple, serving, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. So she was, the Lord showed her such mercy 
to reveal the Christ to her. She knew, he knew of, he, he had heard her prayers and her, her fasting, and he was excited to let her see the Christ. So one day, in verse 38, we read, And coming up at that very hour, just as Simeon has finished his song and finished prophesying over the Lord, they finish, and then coming up the stairs is Anna. And somehow she too realizes that this is the Christ. Maybe her fellow gray-haired one, Simeon, she's like, hey, what's up? Is this the Christ? And then they, she comes and runs and sees that this is the Christ. And she joins with them in praising God, worshiping God, giving thanks to God. As it says, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, that is the Christ, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. She was filled with joy and hope and knew that this was the Christ. So we see that God showed mercy to these two older folks who were unnoticed, unusual, who, weren't, who were unassuming, you would not think that the Lord would show such mercy to, you would think they would look for the, the, one, the high ones, the high priests, bring the high priest here. He will be able to, he'll have a platform and then the Christ can be known by everyone. But the Lord sought out two unnoticed people, two older people, Simeon and Anna, and they gave him a great and honor worship. They loved him, they praised him. And the Lord too wants to show us that same mercy as he loves us, as we live, try to live to be righteous and to follow him. So, but as we conclude, I want to see, show us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can turn there if you'd like. We know that this is how God works. That he chooses and works in people's lives who are not the wisest, who are not the most mighty. We see that he did this with Elizabeth, that she was barren, but God showed her grace in her old age and gave her a son. We see that in Mary as well, as a young girl, in Joseph and in John the Baptist later on. And later on in the disciples, men who were fishermen who were tax collectors, men who would not have been placed as disciples. Nowadays, we would have chosen someone else. But the Lord shows mercy, and he has a plan in doing it. And we can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was, is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Let's pause there for a second. We know that the Lord is not saying that if you're rich, I don't want you. If you're mighty, I don't want you. But he's saying of the world. He's saying that the, when the world looks upon a person, they look 
for something special. They look for might. They look for riches. They look for what they're looking for. But what Christ looks for is not, the, is not those things. He sees the weak. He sees the unnoticed. And he chooses them. So that, in verse 29, no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God. You have no wisdom. God has given you wisdom. He, Christ is your wisdom. He has given us righteousness. You have no righteousness of your own. Christ is your righteousness. Sanctification. You have no sanct- sanctification, no holiness, but Christ is your, hol- your holiness. He has given you sanctification. Redemption. You had no way to redeem yourself. You were dead in your sins, but Christ redeemed you. He became your redemption, your sacrificial lamb. So that, as it is written, let no one boast, but the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That is our purpose. That is God's grace to us. That in Christ we have everything. We have our salvation, we have our continued sanctification, and it's all so that we could boast in Jesus, so that we could glory in him, not in ourselves. We have not attained this by our might, by our wisdom, by our strength, but only by the mercy of God, only by Jesus Christ. So as you, and here's, here's the New Year's, New Year's plug, but as you go through this year, as maybe you have some New Year's resolutions. It's great to have those, whatever they might be. Let your boast be in Christ. Your accomplishments, your, lear- your failures through your learning, let your boast be in Christ. Do not let your life go by where you boast in yourself because everything you have is Jesus, is in Christ. Your redemption, your salvation, and your sanctification is found in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much that our everything is found in Christ, that we too, as Simeon and Anna, are able to worship you because we know the Christ. We know Jesus Christ in our hearts. We have put our faith in him, and we love him. Lord, I pray that you will work on all of our hearts as we continually grow to die to ourselves and to stop boasting in ourselves, but to boast in you, to glory in you, to praise you, to thank you, to be content in you, Christ. We thank you so much. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.